Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money. Today's program, according to the Center of Disease Control, elder abuse is a major public health problem. That's a topic for us today. Let me define elder abuse for you because it's important that we understand it because we're going to get some information on how to prevent it. Elder abuse occurs when a caregiver or someone in a relationship of trust with the elder intentionally causes, or creates, or fails to prevent a risk of harm to an adult 60 or older. And you know what? It's a real problem in our state, in our country, and joining me today with tips to prevent abuse is Rob Clement. Whether it's a caretaker, a family member, a neighbor, friend, or an acquaintance, you'll be shocked at who commits elder abuse. In the second half of the program, Scott Jordan is here to share with us some things to consider when you're selecting a trustee, when you are attempting to protect assets for future use, why do you need a trust and who should be the trustee? From our Did You Know files, here are some very interesting information. According to BTN Research, the longest bull market of the S&P 500 since 1950 lasted 3,452 calendar days. That's nine and a half years from October 11th of 1990 to March the 24th of 2000. Well, the current bull market for the S&P 500 would have to last to August the 22nd of 2018. That's this time next week. Just seven more days to reach 3,453 calendar days. Just to note, the S&P 500 consists of 500 stocks chosen for market size, liquidity, and industry group. You know that. So we're looking at possibly in the next week, the longest bull market in history for the S&P 500. One of the reasons we talk about diversification on the program is because of this report also from BTM. Of the 15 stocks in the S&P 500 that lost at least, and listen, lost at least 30% in calendar year 2017, 12 of those stocks have a positive return year-to-date through July the 31st of this year. Four of the 12 that lost last year up stocks, though the four of the 12 that are up stocks now have gained at least 28% as of July the 31st of 2018. So why do you look at diversification? That's the reason. What was great last year may not be great this year. What was bad last year may be at the top of the market this year. From the National Center of Elder Abuse, approximately 1 in 10 Americans aged 60 or older have experienced some form of elder abuse. Some estimates range as high as 5 million elders are abused each year. Who are the abusers? And almost 60% of the elder abuse case and neglect incidents, the perpetrator, listen, is a family member. Two-thirds of perpetrators are adult children 
or spouses. To find out today's program, but you want to find out more about today's program, go on the podcast and other past programs also. Go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Coming up, Rob Clement, Scott Jordan, understanding the issues of elder abuse. We're going to specifically look at financial abuse and what to consider when selecting a trustee. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcast of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Rob Clement is a registered representative of Securian Financial Services. Member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, you think it never happens, and maybe it's going to happen to the next-door neighbor or somebody distant to you, but it happens all the time. We're talking about elder abuse. It can happen in the nursing home. It happens with just a person, you know, that's staying at home and doing all the things that they need to be doing, and yet it, you know, here's it just happens. It just, it's a, it's a problem, and it's a problem in our society that we're looking at a, a nursing home employee at a, at a facility. You know, they don't mean to, or maybe they do maybe it's uh it's just it's just neglect or maybe it's abuse or whatever but the reality is it does occur and so my guest Rob Clement guys and Scott Jordan welcome to the program good to be here Jim great to be here Jim you know guys really this is a, one of those issues that I I We've done this program a topic before, and and, I, and I, there's so many times we get so many questions about it. I know you're going to give some tips at the end of the program about how to look for elder abuse and what to look for. But, you know, kind of give me the overview, Rob, a little bit about how do you determine this, this idea behind what is elder abuse or when is it occurring? Well, you brought up a good point when you were given some of the numbers. Uh, a lot of people are surprised. It's 60-year-olds and older. And uh, we know that the baby boomers are a huge number of folks going through our system today. And one of the things is that the National Institute of Justice tells us that you know, there's very few numbers out there, national measurements, to be able to determine exactly how much abuse is happening. And secondly, they just don't have its unreliable national incidence information. So, you know, there's uh, there's different re- reporting procedures depending on the parts of the country. So we just know, as you shared earlier with the listeners, there are a number of folks out there that are being abused for any number of different things. Well, you know, you talk about that. I mean, I think the, the National Institute, the Department of Justice estimates that about only about one out of every 23 cases right. gets really actually reported and yet it's real. I mean, we've got uh, statistics all over the place. We've got one here in Decatur, Ohio. We got one, I mean, excuse me, Decatur, Tennessee, Dayton, Ohio. I mean, we could go through, and I'm not going to get into those. We thought about doing that, but the reality is there's real cases. There's real issues, and that's the problem, is how do we know? I mean, when you say it's, it's unreliable, how do we look for things? What should we be thinking about? And let's just deal first and foremost with financial abuse. And Shannon, I mean, uh, Shannon, I <laughs> Scott, well, you know, I, I'm working on last week's program, <laughs> right, I guess. Right. But the, the point is, who commits this? I mean, when I'm when I'm looking at it, Scott, I mean, I'm thinking from from. I know I mentioned kind of the the family member, the the next door neighbor, or whatever. But how do you know? How do you dive into that? 
Well, I think that's something that, you know, is always kind of kind of hits me right in the heart is that it is people that they trust most often that are doing it. You know, it's it's like you mentioned, family members, it's caretakers. Uh, sometimes it's even professionals that they've employed, attorneys, you know, maybe employees at the bank or their their health care providers. People that are close to them that they trust are the ones that are most often committing the elder abuse. Yeah, and I think in uh, and from what I've seen personally and uh, with family members that uh, that have experienced some type of uh, abuse, maybe it was just change taken out of a drawer at a uh, at a nursing home, or maybe it's a wallet that was left out that uh, dollars were missing from that, and uh, and, the, and so it is. It's people that. Um, you least expect it will do it, do abuse of people financially. Rob, I know in your practice and you, you in the firm, you handle a lot of our senior citizens and, our, and our, a lot of our people that have reached that certain age and maybe they've actually outlived their advisor and you're the person that's kind of circled around and are helping them get through this stage. What do you look for? I mean, when a person comes in and, and you know, you're thinking of that financial abuse, and is there something specifically that you put, kind of put your radar up to think about? Yeah, there are. There, there are several things that we, we look for. Uh, sometimes what we see is that the unusual amounts of withdrawals from accounts, uh, and, uh, and it can be with people that are considered the, the trusted uh, power of attorneys. For uh, for our clients, so we look for that. We we look for uh, signs with the individual that uh, is the uh, elder individual. So you're talking about warning signs, or right. something? Okay, okay. What right. would those be? Yeah, yeah. yeah we we look for uh, personality changes. Uh, maybe they've been a uh, extrovertish person, and now they're a little bit more uh, introvertish, and they're a little suspicious of people, and uh, and their their uh, their concerns are uh, are not easily registered, and so we watch for that. We look for body language, too, at the same time, just to see if a person is uh, uh, more withdrawn uh, in their conversation than they used to be. You know, we had a case a couple of years ago. We didn't, but this is a case that reported in the state of Tennessee where an individual, an elder, over 60, had hired someone to more or less be his driver. It was an elder individual man, and he had hired a young person, and I'm going to say young person, 25, 30, 35, Mm -hmm. somewhere. I'm not going to get into the specifics. But they had hired him as the kind of that trusted, and this guy was went through all the vetting process and everything that was expected to be okay. And the family said, no problem, everything's good. So he was his driver. He was his caretaker. He took care of his home, took care of his grass and all those. And this guy was making, I mean, he was paying him out of his pocket. I mean, it was a well, he was an employee. Trusted employee, trusted friend, trusted confidant. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, they begin to look at these warning signs and the thing where some some bills that were not being paid that right. was beginning to creep up. And all of a sudden, they had this idea behind tons of junk mail. And they were looking for those. And this ended up being a case where this individual trusted Friend, confidant was beginning to abuse financially, take money by way of just simply asking him to say, I need to sign checks for you to pay your bills. And next thing you know, he's depleting this man, this individual. And of course, fortunately, the state did, you know, they, they, they did file a lawsuit. This guy's now in jail. But the reality is it took a long time. But now here's the problem. It kept going for over two years before dad finally 
bit the bullet because he didn't want to he didn't want to get his trusted friend in trouble. Right. Yep. And so what you're speaking about is accountability. Yeah. Is as a family member when you turn things over to a trusted friend or someone there needs to be an accountability with that because you need to you, what is the old expression uh you inspect what you expect and so that watching you closely what's going on with the financial affairs of individuals. Let's make sure we say that again, because large bills or piles of unpaid bills is a problem. Not having enough money to cover their food and their medicine costs, those are things that we need to be sure that our listening audience understands. Lots of junk mail, lots of unopened letters or things that are just hanging around. And And then, you know, when you're paying somebody to cut your grass and it's not being cut, or you've got unrepaired things, I mean, a shingle on a roof or a leaky gutter or a window, this, whatever it is, and you're not taking care of that, and yet they're supposed to be, that's a sign. Those are warning signs. Those are things we looked like we need to be looked at. But, but you mentioned, Rob, uh, unsuspected changes in the wheels or, right. or, or that all of a sudden from your chair when you're sitting down with a client and now you all of a sudden got somebody who you've never met before who's now telling, coming in on the meetings, and you're going, who is this person? Right. And all of a sudden, you got that's got to be a warning light. Right. And, and what you have to watch out for with that, too, is that we've seen uh, where children of parents that are now seniors, uh, the children uh, are just putting trust in individuals that may be a, an individual that uh, they don't know. And then they tell us, hey, I want you to uh, talk with this individual. And you now are in a real quagmire because yeah. you, you don't know that person. So you have to do some due diligence. And, and our job as a fiduciary of, uh, of our responsibilities is to make sure that we are treating yeah, when, when our lights go off and you right. know the blinking and, and Scott, we had a case a couple of years ago where we had the trusted son-in-law that was beginning to give advice and taking this huge amount of, um, I guess we'd say, uh, pressure. You, you felt it. And and mother-in-law was, you know, it, it, we just felt uncomfortable. And we had to go through a whole lot. Scott, can you, you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And that was, a, that was an interesting situation. And, and one, you know, that's something that we're always on the lookout for. You know, we like to meet with everybody that's involved with our client's financial situation just so we kind of understand what's going on. And we like to do that early and often so that we're not waiting until we're in a crisis situation to try to figure out what's going on. You know, that's uh, I think we that's the key right there. You said crisis situation. Try to avoid and, and, you know, manage that problem. One of the issues, you know, again, let's talk about warning signs. I want everybody to get this warning sign. You've got someone that's named in the will that you didn't know two years ago. And all of a sudden, like a nurse, like right, a caregiver right. or somebody, that's all of a sudden in the will. And that's a, that's a warning sign. Right. Or I, I think one that you've talked about before, Scott, and both of you have really, that the reality is you've got some activity that's going on, such as an ATM you know, withdrawals or such as buying something that this it just doesn't fit with this elder that you've known or that you've been watching or somebody. You just kind of try to pay attention. It's activity that we don't normally see, whether it's to the bank account or to the ATM or to the insurance policy withdrawals or things like that. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Right. I mean, and there's one thing to be uh, to have a trusted individual, uh, but trust takes a while to develop. 
And uh, and one of the things at least I seek to do, and I believe in our practices, is to do meetings with clients that as they're getting into their senior years, to ask them about who do they trust. Yeah. And as we begin to develop that list of, uh, of the legal people, the powers of attorney, and also beneficiaries, so that we then sometimes can sit down with that beneficiary or those powers of attorney before those crisis situations that Scott mentioned earlier are happening. So we get a real feel for that individual and who that trusted individual is. But just looking for warning signs, identifying the trusted individual, and helping sometimes that uh, reality that we, when we're dealing with a senior, that that senior is trusting because, I, you know, guys, we have, to, we have to deal with it. This is one of those situations where the senior sometimes just does do not, they do not want to impair that relationship exactly they have we and see that a lot we where do. where we have you know children that are you know hitting their parents up to buy cars and other things that really is putting their parents financial situation in jeopardy and the parents don't want to say no because that may be the only relationships that they really interact with on a regular basis and they don't want to do anything to damage those so puts them in a very uncomfortable situation well again I want to make sure that we're making everybody fully aware that that, that the caretaker of a family member you know whether it's a caretaker a family member a neighbor a friend acquaintance you're just going to be shocked sometimes at who commits elder abuse uh, let me make sure that we've done this because I want everybody listening to get the understanding that how do you report financial elder abuse Rob let's start right. with you well first of all, uh, we have some numbers locally that we would like to give out, and uh, and I'd like to give that right now. The uh, 24-hour family safety center here locally in Memphis is the 901 area code, 249-7611. Now, that's the hotline. If that's you suspect hotline. it and you want something right then, call that exactly. number. Exactly. All right, let me make sure we get that again, 249-7611. And that's the family safety center. That's correct. Okay. 24 hours a day. That's now, the there's local only number. two cities in the, in the state. That's Memphis and Knoxville have... Nashville and Chattanooga is trying to get those, putting that together now, but Memphis and Nashville, Memphis and Knoxville have those family crisis centers, right. and it's called the Family Safety, Safety Center. Center. In fact, you can go online, familysafetycenter.org. That's that, correct. That's okay. Yeah. Now, if you're out of Memphis and you're in Shelby County, you can also dial 901-274-7477 for Shelby County. Okay. All right. And then nationally, there's a number, and it is the uh, 800 number, 677-1166, and it's for the Elder Locator Helpline. Okay. All right. Let me make sure we get that again. 800-677-1116. 1116, is that three, right? Three ones and a six. <laughs> three ones and a six. And that's a victim. If you know that you've got some, need some help, you need to report something, you need to work through that, that's important. And again, if you're in the state of Tennessee and you want that help, I mean, there is another 800 number, and that's two. That's 1-888-277-8366. Now, we've just given you enough telephone numbers, and if you were not writing them down, uh, we will keep them here in the studio, and you just simply call the studio, and we'll be glad to, to get that to you. And uh, don't hesitate to give us a call. We'll tell the telephone number if you want to call is 260-5926. Just remember that number, 260-5926. We'll be sure to give you that telephone number. Or you can call us at the office, and this is an easy number, 757-5757. That's the FamilySafetyCenter.org if you suspect 
somebody is doing elder abuse and you want to report it and you need to report it, you feel compelled to report it, the telephone number, again, is 249-7611. That's the hotline. But just go to FamilySafetyCenter.org and you can find out more about that. When we come back, I want you guys to walk us through some tips that a person who sees themselves in this situation you know, they say, okay, what should I be thinking about? I mean, just uh, just how to protect themselves. So I want you to grab a pen, get a piece of paper, and you want to write these down. Because what we're going to do is how do you go about protecting yourself? I'm going to share some tips with you. These guys are about just ways to look at your life as they might become active participants. And not just a victim, but you're not only active walking for, watching for yourself, but you're also watching and sharing these with other people. And I want to tell you this. If you don't have a chance to write this down, just call the office. We have a whole booklet that's just for you on financial abuse for elders. So elder financial abuse, it's a printed booklet. It's something we'll be glad to give to you with no problem. So give us a call when you get a chance at 757-5757. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest, Scott Jordan, Rob Clement. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is no and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. While we're talking with Scott Jordan and Rob Clement, we're talking about elder financial abuse. And I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts here before we dive into what a, what the elder needs to be doing. We're going to give you some tips on for the elder, how they need to participate in preventing abuse. But I'm going to talk to you as a family member for just a second and pay attention because if you happen to be a caregiver or have an elder parent or someone that you're working with and you're taking care of, here's a couple of things I want you to think about. I want you, number one, to become familiar with your loved one's financial information. Take the time to just say, I need mom and dad. I need to go through your checkbook. I need to look at it. I need to look at your bank account. I need to spend some time. Now, listen, this is to prevent something from happening. And mom and dad needs to understand that this is for their benefit. Review the financial information. Look at the estate planning documents. Get to know your family members, medical and financial teams. You never think they would be the ones that could be your abusers, but they are. Avoid giving a caregiver, you know, that that idea of being you become the caregiver that's burned out, that you just can't go back over and see mama. You just you're just worn out. Try to share the responsibilities. Take some time off and maybe get someone else to help you with that. Just, you know, just spread it out a little bit. Don't get to the point where you're saying, I just can't do this anymore. That's that's what happens. You back off and you get too far removed and somebody steps in. Mom, dad. They need that attention. They want that attention. They desire it. And you've backed off a little bit. Make unannounced visits. Just simply take the time to go over and don't tell anybody you're coming. By the way, that sometimes can be one of the most most important things. When my mom was at that point and she was in a nursing home, I made regular unannounced visits. Educate your loved ones about current solicitations and scams. Just tell them somebody's trying to sell them something. Say no. Talk to you about it later. Say no. Stay with a negative no, no, no. And then at that point, if they need something, you help them make that decision. Establish and maintain. Listen to me. Listen to me, kids. If you've got a mom and dad that's an elder, 
You maintain that open line of communication. It is your responsibility. You have that. It's just what you should do as a child for an elder. You maintain that open line of communication. Now, Scott, Rob, you guys, I want you to give our elders that are listening, the listening audience that are 60 and older, give us some tips. I'll start with you, Rob. Give us some tips that they need to know about what they can become, how they can become an active participant in watching out for themselves. Let's start with the alphabet. The first letter of the alphabet is A, and that's awareness. Be aware that you are at risk. We sometimes, even as uh, baby boomers, think that we're not at risk. So be aware. You could be exploited by a stranger or a personal friend or family member. So awareness is the key starting point. Okay, now, you know, Scott, you just realized he just threw up the A word. Now I know. You, you've got to follow. <laughs> now, yeah, I was, I was trying, to, trying to think here. Uh, I guess I'll go with B as in become, as in do not become reclusive. Right. I don't know if that quite worked out. That, that sounds but, pretty uh, good. Yeah, so so you know, don't they, become reclusive. Exactly. Stay involved. Stay, in, stay involved as you can. You know, what? I've seen this in real life. One of the tactics that abusers use is to isolate that person mm-hmm. from their friends from their family so nobody really knows their situation and what's going on so best best advice i give is stay involved and stay as involved and as active as you can be whether it's a you know with your family with with your church group with a civic organization just get out there and 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 be around other people that's important for the tip for again we're talking to the elders this is being involved stay involved if your health's declining do whatever you can to either have visitors or something that you can stay involved with people around you so you know it's if you if you not doing that now work hard do not and as scott said do not become reclusive all right rob all right, number three would be what you said earlier, and the two-letter word, no. Get accustomed to saying no to people when they approach you. You know, when you say that, most of us, when, when we don't like to do that, right. we, we want to be positive, and, and somebody is calling us about something that's a good thing, or you think it's a good thing, and you start. You know, we have a case that where, where it was simply just the person, it sounded good, and they said yes. Next thing you know, it was more and more and more, and it just kept building. it. And then what the perpetrator did in this case was to build a wedge between the trusted family member and the elder. I mean, because they kept saying, well, the elder, you know, you, this, I'm on your behind. I'm helping you. This is good. This is good. And they literally kept saying, and your son, daughter, whatever it was, is not good. Well, and let me give amazing. you a tip. That's a problem. Let me give you a tip on All that right? saying no. I did it with my parents and my in-laws. I said, simply say this. If you get a phone solicitation or someone approaches you, you simply say, you know what? That sounds like something good. Send me information on that and let me review it. I don't make any decisions on the spot. Yeah, that's good. And you just say no. That's good. That's good. Scott, another one. I think it's important, you know, to shred all your receipts and credit card statements and all the other personal information that you get, whether it's in the mail or around the house. Keep all that out of the hands of somebody that might use it with malintent. That's a great point. I mean, you just uh, just be careful who, who is able to see that. So you guys have basically come up with these things like this. You said, okay, awareness, right. that was critical. I understand that. Don't become reclusive. And then I guess when you say no, it's not only just anybody trying to sell you something, any product, don't buy something online or, you know, on a phone call. Always, you know, back off, say, send me the information. Let me look at it. I don't make quick decisions. 
And then if you've got documents, don't let those documents get into the hands of people they shouldn't get into. That's critical. So shred them. Make sure you're getting all the receipts and credit card things. Don't let them happen. What else, Rob? Well, you said the word credit card. Never, ever give your credit card out or any account, personal account information out. Uh, and make sure that you do shred any things that have personal information on them. We have a shred day at our office a couple of times during the year. We'll announce that coming up. But make sure that you don't have to feel pressure to make a quick decision. That's a, that's a critical number right there. I mean, because no. that's what a, that if you get that phone call, I mean, I got one yesterday, and I mean, it was a nice little girl, and she says, uh, you, you've, you've requested information on your health insurance. I knew I hadn't. And she said, uh, very nice it was a recording. And she said, you would like to more information. Uh, hang on, and I'll have someone to contact you uh, if you would like. To. I said, I don't know. And I said, no. And she said, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the point was, you know, and I, now you got to understand, I look at it, and I, I laughed. But the reality is, if I hadn't gotten a phone call from anybody in the last two weeks or three weeks, and I get this nice-sounding voice on the phone— I, I know I might be tempted to be, you know, nobody's visited me. I've been reclusive, back to what you said, Scott. It's just that temptation to say yes, and then all of a sudden you can become extremely vulnerable. So what we're saying, if you happen to be in that situation, learn to say no, or at best send me information and I'll talk about it. So, And this goes back to keeping open communications with friends or family, making sure that you have other people that you can talk to to get advice from. And again, if you've got questions about this, call the office at 757-5757. Credit reports. Scott, what about our credit report? I think that's important for elders and everyone to check your credit report often. In this day and age, you know, with identity identity theft and fraud being so prevalent, I think it's just important to keep a close eye on your credit report and monitor any activity on it. That's important. That's critical. Scott, I mean, we talk about this all the time is monitoring that, and and we've seen cases with that, and I know we consider that to be extremely important. Pay attention to what money is going through there. Rob, you mentioned at one point in time that we talk about this, that, you know, send your checks. Have that direct Direct deposit. deposit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Make sure that way they can go straight into your account, and you have uh, no concerns about it being lost in the mail or someone pirating uh, your mail out of your mailbox. So, you know, and, and let me go back to that uh, that uh, information about saying no. One of the things you can add to your tips is that you tell the person on the other end of the phone, hey, you know what, let me get your number and name. I'll go over this with a family member <laughs> or my go. trusted person. And you, that person will many times say, I'm sorry, I can't give you my number or you know, at least give them uh, the fact that you're being a person that's checking. So what you're saying is just be cautious. cautious. Build that sense of cautiousness. Let me let me finish this with you guys. The, the bottom line is never provide credit card, banking, Social Security, Medicare, or any personal information over the phone unless you are the one who has initiated the call. You've got it set up. You know who's talking to you. Yesterday, I got a call, and, and they said, we need to verify your credit card. Well, I happened to know the person, but there was somebody in my office listening, and I gave up my credit card. And they were going, what are you doing? You're doing it. What are you doing? And I said, Stop. wait a minute. I know the person. And, I, you know, I recognize the voice. But the point is, don't ever, ever give out any type of credit card, bank 
banking, Social Security, Medicare, or any personal information over the phone unless you are the one who initiated the call and you've confirmed the person that you're talking to. And I would add emails to that, too, Jim. I've seen so many clever emails that are disguised oh. as a bank, and they look so legitimate. I mean, they have the logo. They have everything. So, I, You know, I hate to think this, uh, but what we're saying is we're telling our elder listening audience, just be careful. Just be sensitive and be prepared. And when in doubt, check it out. Don't ever, ever give out information to anyone that you are a little suspicious or anything like that. No, you're absolutely right. That, that awareness is so critical. When we come back, we're going to find out when you've got to choose a trustee. There's some things you need to be sensitive about because this is about protecting your assets. We've talked about elder abuse. We're going to try to give the idea behind putting together a trust, but how do you select the right trustee? If you want more information about today's program, just simply go to the iTunes and search Shoemaker Financial, listen to today's program or other programs. Or if you want to ask either one of these guys questions, 757-5757, that's the telephone number. You can also remember that you can go to the, the, it's a, you know, the whole organization here in the city, FamilySafetyCenter.org to find out more information about elder abuse. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Scott Jordan and Rob Clement. You're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. It is often said that ideas are ahead of their time. This was certainly the case with those of Memphis businessman Clarence Saunders. The idea of a self-service grocery store, complete with shopping carts, aisle displays, refrigerators, and multiple checkout stands, is a concept we take for granted today. But this approach was revolutionary in 1916, when Saunders opened the first Piggly Wiggly store on Jefferson Street. Convinced that the traditional layout of grocery stores often led to their failure, Saunders patented a new model which helped customers view all the available choices before deciding what to buy. What Saunders wanted in return was cash and payment rather than credit. This sound business model led to the rapid success of the Piggly Wiggly franchise, which grew to over 2,500 stores nationwide during the Great Depression. Although Saunders himself had to declare bankruptcy in 1923 after selling his stake in Piggly Wiggly at a heavy loss of nearly $40 million and was forced to sell his unfinished Pink Palace mansion to the city of Memphis, his ideas not only changed the way America went to the supermarket, but also influenced how many other businesses organized their manufacturing and customer relations systems. In the inner corridors of the Pink Palace today, a life-size model of the first Piggly Wiggly store still pays tribute to the legacy of Saunders, a visionary who is truly before his time. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and be redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
My guests today, Scott Jordan and Rob Clement. By the way, if you really you know, need information or you want that handout that I was talking about, elder abuse, financial elder abuse, just give us a call at the office, 757-5757. You want to talk to either one of these guys, Scott Jordan or Rob Clement, just give them a call, 757-5757. We'll also be getting any information as far as the things that we can tell you who to call about, children, about the whole idea behind elder abuse. But here's we're kind of going to change pace a little bit because we're thinking about now a trust. And a trust is a document, arrangement, an entity in which a person's property, your property, or your funds, whatever it is, that you're entrusting to a third party, a trustee, to handle that property or the funds on your behalf. Now, that may be the way for you to protect your finances if you think somebody might be abusing you, because now you've got that third-party trusted individual a trust. Now, Scott's going to give us some precautions about how to go about this, but this is a way that if you find that you're looking at this that could possibly happen to you, maybe, maybe that legal arrangement in which you put your property or your funds that you've entrusted it to a third party, that's a way that you might want to do that. Now, there's two kinds of trust. Now, we're going to be talking specifically about one of them, but Scott defined the two kinds of trust for us. Yeah, Jim. Essentially, there's there's what's called a living trust, or it's often referred to as an inter vivos trust, and that's one that's created while the settler or the grantor, the person creating the trust, is still alive. Um, and then there's also what's called a testamentary trust. Now, a testamentary trust doesn't take effect till death, and that's often created in the will. So, all right, so one's alive, I'm still alive, one, it's when I've passed away. All right, I know that we've talked about this before, that a trust can only be as successful as the trustee who's managing it. And so you really got to make a decision. You've really, if I create a trust, let's talk about, let's just focus today on the living trust, not the testamentary trust. Okay. Here I am. I'm now reaching 70, 75 or something. I'm doing some estate planning and uh, I want to have something where I can protect myself and my wife. I need to put this aside, give, trust somebody, trust somebody and go back to my statement. Trust can only be as successful as the trustee who manages them. So the biggest decision I'm going to make in this whole process is who am I going to designate as my trusted trustee? Help me, help me with figuring that out. That's a big decision to make. And oftentimes it's, it's between either using, say, a family member or a, a person close to the family or a professional, what's often referred to as a corporate trustee. And there's pros and cons to both of those. Well, I know one of the biggest issues that we have is making that decision about a family member. So if you if a family member is chosen, what are some things we should look at? So first of all, is the person competent? When when you are establishing a trust to manage financial matters, often there can be complicated decisions that have to be made. Uh, does the person is the person competent and do they have the time and the interest to do so? Do they want to be the trustee? Because there can be a, a, a large amount of time involved with managing someone's assets. You know, I've also noticed that sometimes a person selects not to be a trustee because let's say the three of us are three brothers and mom and dad are still alive and they choose you, Scott, to be the trustee. And all of a sudden, Rob and I 
feel left out. Oh, we've can, seen that. Yeah, we've, we've seen, seen that. that. We've seen that That's... jealousy kind of set in there. We've seen that, why are you choosing Scott instead of, you know, that kind of thing. That can create immense problems. Uh, there's that jealousy. Then there's also they can be very critical of the person making decisions, you know, often questioning everything they do. Why did you do that? Why did, Why was that done? Is that just to benefit you or – I mean, that's an issue. Rob, you've seen this, too, where you've had family members to come in, and you could tell just by around the table, they are not so sure, in this case of the three of us, well, I don't know if Scott's competent. I mean, you, you, right. you've heard that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not <laughs> Scott. Not, <laughs> well, sure. Not not Scott, for sure. But, yeah, you do see that. There, You know, those family family dynamics in there that uh, you've always favored this person more than you've favored the rest of us. And And that can hinder a person from carrying out that fiduciary responsibility as a trustee. So choosing a family member is not just a slam dunk. That's right. You have to be cautious and uh, use some, uh, some good, if there's a husband and wife, both of you talk it over, making sure that you've got the right individual. Okay, you know, guys, but here's the problem. I mean, Scott, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Is we, You don't want to avoid doing that because you have to make a tough decision. Correct. That's absolutely right. Um, you know, there's there's many benefits to choosing a family member, but it's it's a situation and a decision that can't be taken lightly because of all the things we just we just. Named. What are some of the benefits? Um, well, expenses. You know, often a family member won't charge a fee to be a trustee, although there can be provisions in there to pay a family member to be a trustee. Often they're not charging a fee, and they they also can have a personal stake in the success of the trust, right? If they're one of the beneficiaries of the trust, they can really have a, a, a personal agenda for making sure the trust is managed and handled well. But, you know, also, I, I think one of the biggest advantages or the biggest benefits you talk about is they know the dynamics of who they're working. That, absolutely. You, get, they, you, you can't do that with a corporate trustee. Right, they don't have right. – now, that, that steriliness of a corporate trustee is somewhat there beneficial. There can be some benefits to that. Yeah, but the reality is – if it's a son or a daughter of mom and dad, they know the nuances. They know Correct. that dad's into it, mom's not, or mom's into it. And that is so critical when you start working through this process. Oh, I've, I've seen that so often, too, is that uh, uh, that typically you don't have uh, two married individuals that are both equally into this. Uh, and you sure don't have siblings that all fall wow. into the same deal. <laughs> No, we, not at all. We have a case right now where we've got a trust that uh, the trustee is not even in the United States. And we had to bring put that into a situation where we had to have a corporate trustee. So let me ask you this. If it's a family member, I'll tell you what, let me take a break. When we come back, I want to find out if we're going to use a family member only. Is that the best way to do it? Or should when should we consider a corporate trustee? That's the question. When do you consider that corporate trustee to be a part of the trust, this living trust that you've established to protect you and your spouse or your family uh, for your assets? We're talking about elder abuse here overall financial elder abuse but the reality is what are some of the things you need to consider when you're selecting that trustee that trusted trustee stay with me i'm jim shoemaker along with scott jordan rob clement you're listening to talk money podcasts for talk money are available for ios mobile devices in the itunes store just search shoemaker financial we'll be right back with talk money after this 
Financial advisors do not provide specific tax legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax legal advisor regarding your own specific tax legal situation. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, a lot of the information we're sharing with you today has come from a uh, piece that we read by a group of attorneys called Do You Need a Trust for Your Estate Plan? It's a, form, for, a Forbes article, Farm article, Forbes article, and uh, you might want to just look it up. Just simply, you know, just go to Forbes.com and you can pick it up. Do You Need a Trust for Your Estate Plan? My guest, Scott Jordan, Rob Clement, we're talking about things you need to consider when you're selecting a trustee, that trusted person that's going to manage manage your assets on your behalf. Now, you know, one of the things we, we're kind of almost leading this into being that it becomes a testamentary trust, but a living trust is the person still alive. You can be your own trustee as long as you're alive or as long as you have the capacity. When you feel like you need to transfer that to a family member, then we're saying that's great. But what happens in a lot of cases, and, and Scott, this is one of the downsides of choosing a family member, mortality. You might outlive that person that you've selected. Absolutely. <clears throat> Trust can be designed to go on for years and years, and uh, naming a family member with, with mortality may not be around long enough to to manage the trust assets. That's an issue. That's that something you have issue. to consider. So let's talk about this. Now I've made a decision. I have decided yes or not to, yes, no, maybe not, maybe it will, to choose a family member. But I've decided that I also might want to tack on a corporate trustee. Can you do that? Can you have two trustees? You absolutely can. So you mentioned that during the lifetime, a lot of people with a living trust, they're their own trustee during lifetime. And then they name what's called a successor trustee. And that's where you can name you can name a family member for that position as well, but you can also bring in a corporate trustee. Can to you have over. both? Can you have the you family can. member and you the can. corporate trustee? So name. that's... That's a a, co-trustee situation, and that gives you a little more oversight. You know what I like about that word you just used, oversight? It gives that family member who then, Rob, knows that intimate side of the family, but the corporate trustee that has the monoculars looking at what that family member is doing on behalf of the beneficiaries of the trust. So you got the corporate kind of... Mm, watching over what's happening, and it takes out some of that dynamics of the siblings not agreeing. Well, I, I see that as the warm and fuzzies and the cold and prickly. <laughs> that's good. You know, it's, that's it's good. that well simple. Said. You that's know, well it's, it's those uh, family members know how to be warm and fuzzy to that parent uh, as a trustee, uh, but the corporate person is just looking at it. It's just facts. Is all they're doing, and they're they're really now they can be warm and fuzzy. That, I, they, I yes, know, I they can. That. I don't want to. But but the yeah. point is that's well said because reality is it, it they are there they are fiduciary they are they are held to a standard. So is the individual, but that standard that corporation I like it for a lot of reasons. In fact, if I use a trustee, I want them licensed in all fifty states. I don't know where the person is going to live in the next ten years. Absolutely, and I need to be sure that whatever they're doing, they can transfer it. And I always. Kind Kind of, here's what I ask the attorneys to do, and every attorney is, has their own way of doing this, and we're always telling you if you're going to check out and do, an, do a trust, get a good legal attorney. Don't try to do this yourself. This needs to be done by someone who understands your situation but understands the law of the state that you reside in. So let's get a good attorney to do this. But the reality is knowing what you're putting together, make sure you're the grantor. You're the one writing it. So put your own personality into it. Put your – what am I designing? 
desiring to do, and how am I going to trust these people to do that? So back to the conversation about a corporate trustee. Give me some of the reasons, quickly, Scott, why a corporate trustee is the right person, the right thing to do. Well, I think, uh, you know, two of the big ones are experience and objectivity. You know, like you said, there can be some some rigid, how did you word it, Rob, cold and prickly? Cold Cold and prickly. prickly. can be that, but that also brings some objectivity and experience to the game that can help manage those assets better. Uh, corporate trustees also, also often have extensive resources with which to manage the trust, you know, especially in very intricate situations where there's a lot of assets. There can be a lot of complicated tax filing requirements, uh, maybe some bill paying that needs to be done. There, you know, There's managing the investment management of the assets. All those things can be well handled by a corporate trustee in a lot of situations. I think you said bill paying. That's critical because that is something that a lot of corporate trustees can do. It's part of the fee they're going to charge anyway. The reality is they will actually pay the bills for the the person that's the beneficiary of the trust. And that can be longevity is a biggie for the corporate trustee. That's a, that's a big one. Takes that's that out. If yep. you have a mortality is taken out. What are the disadvantages? I think one of the biggest ones are uh, cost and expense. You know, there's a there's a fee to use a corporate trustee, and uh, that's something that has to be considered when you're trying to make that decision. Is is it is am I getting value, or is it necessary to bring in the corporate trustee? Because there is going to be cost involved with that. So at the end of the day, guys, here's what we're looking at. You, you're at a situation where you want to transfer your assets to let someone help you do this. So, Scott, you're saying it could be a family member. You might want to consider to do the other. All this is put it together. Is there anything at the end of the day that you would tell someone to be careful with? I think it, you have to be careful whether it's a family member or a corporate trustee. You want to you want to vet the family member well, but you also want to vet that corporate trustee. Make sure you understand the organization you're dealing with. That's a good point, Rob. I'm going to wrap it up with kind of the middle of the road approach here. You, you naming a corporate co-trustee and hiring an independent investment advisor to help manage the assets. So those are two critical things as far as a middle-of-the-road I like approach. that middle-of-the-road approach. Absolutely. Give these guys a call at 757-5757. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Now, the reality is Scott Jordan and, you know, Rob Clement, they've talked about elder abuse. We've talked about trustees and selecting a trustee. All this is part of just a solid financial plan and knowing what to do. Thank you for listening today. It's always a pleasure. If you want to listen to it again, go to iTunes store. Let's type on Shoemaker Financial and you can listen to it again or any of the programs that you happen to listen to here on KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Scott Jordan and Rob Clement. Thank you for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Rob Clement is a registered representative of Securian Financial Services. Member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor.